Amen. Please be seated. Well, if I come down with swine flu this week, you'll know where I got it. I want to invite you back today for our day of prayer. This is uh, from 1 o'clock to 6 o'clock to our evening gathering. Our evening gathering will be our usual order. So come back for that if that's uh, on your plan or in your plans to be able to do so. But every so often at church, we try to have a day of prayer starting at 1 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Uh, you can come any time during the day. At the top of every hour, we meet back in the sanctuary. And then we have a, a new prayer focus. And on the back of your outline, kind of outlines that for you, what we'll do today. So if you can be part of this, any part of this, I invite you back. And it's a, a blessed time of prayer. And, and uh, it may seem like a long period of time, but I assure you it goes by rather quickly. We meet and have some corporate uh, prayer together. And then we break up and you can go individually, stay in the sanctuary, wherever you want to go. And then we meet back at the top of the hour and pray for the things here listed. And uh, the pastors will lead you uh, in some, some items to pray for during your time of prayer. So we'd love to have you come back for our day of prayer. And this week is the, the National Day of Prayer, so Thursday we'll have a special service here at 7 o'clock uh, to pray again and have some singing and some, uh, a brief devotional uh, on the National Day of Prayer. That's coming this Thursday as well. Please turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Our focus will be on just one verse this morning, verse 10. It's part of the larger context of verses 6 through 10. You remember that Paul spent significant time planting churches in Galatia, building those churches up. He was understandably and righteously angry with a fatal distortion of the gospel that was creeping in. It was in the process of moving in to the lives in the church of the people of the church. It was so distorted that it was no gospel at all. There was a trust in works of the law, trust in man's ability to keep standards that were, was added to Christ for salvation. No gospel at all, in fact. And so Paul writes this letter, which is different than other letters, in that he pronounces two anathemas. He also uh, calls them fools at the beginning of chapter 3 because of how serious the error is, departing from the gospel that saves them. So he speaks with an abruptness, with an indignation, no doubt. But he also says something in verse 10 that has immediate application to being faithful to the gospel message as God gives it. But it also has a general application. And that's why I want to study verse 10 today with you as we have come to it in the text. So I will read God's word, Galatians 1, starting at verse 6 through verse 10, with verse 10 being our particular focus this morning. Hear God's holy word. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we readily confess to being recovering legalists. 
wanting so badly to claim some amount of goodness or merit that we can give to you apart from Christ. Please rid us of such thinking so we might be free to serve you with our whole hearts, totally dependent upon you and the merit of Jesus. Father, we also readily confess one of the major obstacles to unfettered service to you is our tendency to be approval junkies. We spend so much time, so much effort, so much emotional energy, so much anxiety fretting over what this or that person thinks of us and so little time concerned with pleasing you. Please grant us grace to better understand the gospel and how it sets us free to serve you. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There are certainly all sorts of people represented in this congregation, different personality types. There might be one who you would say, you know, be careful what you say. They are very sensitive. Or don't say this because they take that very personally. On the other hand, you probably have some that, oh, don't worry about him. He won't care. It doesn't, it doesn't bother him what other people think. And we talk in those terms about how we interrelate and deal with what people think of us or don't think of us. But the truth is, everyone here cares what other people think. In the pit of our being, we're really approval junkies. We're addicted to the notions other people have about us. It drives much of what we do, many of the commitments we make, the actions we take, decisions we take, are based on what people may think of us. We are people pleasers all too often. One commentator says regarding this phenomena, this human phenomena, he says, The rule is, human beings have a propensity that welcomes the praise of their fellows. While there may be exceptions, the rule is, we enjoy being complimented or honored. The danger is, we can easily become intoxicated and consumed by the need, then crave the praise of men. Now, it's not to say that pleasing other people is wrong, especially if God commands us to. And it's a way in which we honor God by honoring others. There's no excuse here for not listening to those who've been put in our a place of authority. This has to do with the driving force in our life that is always looking for the approval of people who are watching you. It's, it's Lord of your life, pleasing people. This is what Paul refers to specifically about guarding the gospel and not compromising from that message. But this general concept we can apply and and examine this morning covers every decision we make. Verse 10. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I a people pleaser? That's the question. We see it all around us. It's rampant. You know, the recent dust-up about the Miss USA pageant revealed a constant cultural push to please people. You know, there is a very small but vocal and active minority advocating for a redefinition of marriage to include same-sex unions. You're aware of it. The vocal minority has been given a pulpit by the mainstream media, creating a sense that it's not just closed-minded to oppose same-sex unions, but it's an unacceptable intolerance to do that. And anyone who would hold it, they should be castigated. Never mind how historical it is, how probably majority it is, how logical it is, when you have such a stranglehold on the pulpit that teaches it, it definitely puts a pressure to please. 
for anyone who gets in that limelight. So during this recent pageant, a member of the aforementioned vocal minority, who himself is a promiscuous homosexual, brags about it, asked Miss California a question that would reveal her view of so-called same-sex marriage. Now, very honestly, she gave a very weak answer. I would hope there'd be a better answer than she gave. But having said that, it was brave given the fact that she was in this pressure to please people to say what she said. Her answer was, marriage should be between a man and a woman. No offense to anyone out there. That's how I was raised. Before she could even finish, she was almost booed off the stage. Couldn't even, the, the pressure to please with opinion and say something that seemed to be popular was immense. Many people suggest that she lost the title as a result of that. The furor still rages over her answer with advocates of the historical traditional marriage uh, contingency trying to book her for uh, book writing and speaking engagements immediately, while the other side of the equation is still relentlessly castigating her over and over again in every avenue and every media outlet they can have at their exposure. It's remarkable. Now, I want to say that I happen to think that such pageants have very few, if any, redeeming qualities. I can't think of hardly any that I'd imagine. But it's still brave in light of the people-pleasing culture that is so put forth to stand up and say what she said at that moment. This dust-up, among others, is one of many current examples where there is great pressure to try to please people rather than God. There's one reality, however. Every one of us deals with the challenge personally. Should we please people or should we please God? And we all struggle with it, every person to some degree or another. Every one of us. There's a great deal of anxiety, even among God's people. We constantly feel insecure, unsure, unstable. We don't fit. It's because of our slavery to pleasing people. Well, the gospel declares God's acceptance of us through the merit of Christ. Once we understand the true gospel, we stop living for ourselves, for others, and start living for God. That's the practical outflow of maintaining the true gospel message that Paul is writing so vigorously to defend. Well, first, what is people-pleasing? Look at verse 10. Paul offers some diagnostic questions, two of them, that helps us to define people-pleasing. Verse 10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? Now, he's asking this question in the immediate context of arguing for the defense of the only true gospel. There's no doubt that people were challenging him, the Judaizers, those who were trying to add circumcision and works of the law to Christ for salvation. They must have been saying to Paul, you're making it too easy. You can't just say it's just believing in Jesus that, that makes a person right with God. You have to do that plus this. And so they must have been saying, you're just saying that so you can get a crowd. So people listen to that easy believism you're teaching. So they're affronting with this, and he's asking himself the question that every one of us should ask all the time about the message of the gospel, but also about every decision we make. Am I seeking the approval of men or the approval of God? It's a worthy question. Everyone should ask it. Now, Paul could argue very clearly that, well, you could say I'm a people pleaser, but I did just pronounce two anathemas. And, oh, I called them fools in chapter 3, and go through the testimony of the other 12 epistles he wrote, and you'll see that he was not. In any way, a man-pleaser. But he poses this question as a checkpoint for his message going forward and for us to consider, 
every at every cross point in our life. Am I striving for the approval of people or the approval of God? That's the question he asks. Well, we can see the definition for people pleasing. It's seeking the approval of men above the approval of God. People pleasing is speaking or acting in a way that is primarily concerned with the approval of a person or people with secondary reference maybe to God or no reference at all. People pleasers cater to the crowd. People pleasers include, being a people pleaser includes a careful avoidance of negative pronouncements that might offend somebody or cause them to reject. People pleasing tends to work in a frenzied manner to gain the good esteem of people. Reputation is of utmost importance among men for a people pleaser. People pleasing always seems like running for office, campaigning, image building. People pleasing lives for regular commendations and needs them constantly. Constantly needs to hear words of praise from people and it's never satisfied because there needs to be more after the initial ones are made. And then after that feeling wears off, more need to be made. There's some prime characteristics of people-pleasing. People-pleasers take most criticism very, very personally. People-pleasers feel an extraordinary fear of rejection. It is the fear that drives them that someone would reject them. People-pleasers find it hard to express their true feelings because they don't want to hurt someone and thereby cause rejection to come upon them. People-pleasers have a very difficult time ever saying no. Paul says, asking the question, Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, so he gives us the picture that he once did live trying to please men. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Well, let's ask an important question. We see what people pleasing is. What is wrong with it? So many people are driven by it. Christians have a response to it, but we still struggle with it. But the world at large is driven by people-pleasing. So what's so wrong with it? Well, let me just point out three things that are wrong with people-pleasing. First of all, please understand, my dear brothers and sisters, that what pleases man rarely pleases God. The value system of God is not the value system of fallen man. When you become a believer, you are given a new set of lenses. You have a new worldview, but it's still a struggle even as a believer. But for the one who has not been given this new view, the world is very temporary. It's defined by the relationships that they have around them. And pleasing is very, very important. And we're driven by this and we're unable to see eternal truths, truths that transcend our immediate circumstances because we're living for the temporary ones. And so God's value system often is in direct conflict with the one who's temporally bound. So what pleases man, if that's what you're striving after, rarely is the thing that pleases God, the one who's most important to please. Fallen man opposes the true God. A couple examples of this. Jesus is referring to the Pharisees who were religious leaders, not secular progressives, religious leaders who had all sorts of esteem from the people. Listen to what he says, the Lord Jesus, in Luke 16. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, that is Jesus talking and preaching, and they ridiculed him. 
And he said to them, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The exact thing that Paul writes to correct in the Galatians is the thing that the Pharisees were doing. They made their lives heaping stuff on people so they could be right with God. And so their value system was all about trust in man, even as religious as they looked. And Jesus says, when man is fallen man, his value system is different than God's value system. The thing that you so value, Pharisees, is an abomination to God. So, point being, don't try to get the approval of people who have a value system that's opposite of your father. In John chapter 12, similarly, it reads, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. So there are authorities who were hearing Jesus' message and they were believing the message. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. They were afraid of people and what people would do regarding this profession. And listen to what it says in John 12, 43. A terrible epitaph for anyone. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. What pleases man rarely pleases God. Yet we strive so hard to gain the approval of just such people. One of my favorite pictures of this that I love to, to recount with my boys and talk with people about. Because it shows you how different we look, even among godly people. Here's Samuel, this godly a prophet, a priest of God. He's a judge of sorts for Israel in this transition from God directly ruling through the judges, now moving to kings and Saul is failing as an evidence of why it's wrong to trust in man. And so he is called to appoint the next king. He goes to Jesse's house with all these strapping boys who are grown and look like they'd be great leaders. And what does Samuel do? He does the same thing any one of us would have done. We'd see the biggest, strongest, seemingly smartest one say, that's got to be the guy. So he goes to Jesse's house using this wisdom, judging from outward appearances the way we normally judge as people. And listen to what it says in 1 Samuel 16. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This is a big dude. That's a little added portion there. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Brothers and sisters, stop trying to please people. They don't see things through God's eyes. There's something else that's wrong with trying to be a people pleaser. Very, very simply and bluntly, people change so much. What pleases them today will not please them tomorrow. People, we people, are notoriously fickle. We strive after things that we're just sure will satisfy us. If we get that, we'll be okay. And then we get that, and it is amazing how fast we're discontent again. The thing that would have made it for us, we now have it, and we're dissatisfied almost immediately. You may think your actions will please someone that you're striving so hard to please. But many times you will be totally disappointed by their reaction. There is a secular, unbelieving psychologist who notes this. To seek approval is to have no resting place, no sanctuary, she writes. Like all judgment, approval encourages a constant striving. 
It makes us uncertain of who we are and of our true value. Approval cannot be trusted. It can be withdrawn at any time, no matter what our track record has been. It is as nourishing of real growth as cotton candy. Yet many of us spend our lives pursuing it. Trying to please people is like trying to hit a moving target from a great distance over and over. You may hit it once, but you can't hit it twice. And it becomes more and more difficult the more tired you become to try to hit that target. It's foolish to make approval from sinful, ever-changing people the driving energy of our life. will constantly come up short. Never cease striving. You know, that's true in a personal level, but you know what? It's true as a church, too. The Church of Christ. It's embarrassing at times to see what the church does today to try to please people. It reminds me of that teenage boy that does everything he can to get the girl that he likes to notice him. But she'll never notice him. But he keeps doing crazy things to get her attention. When in fact, if he would just be who he is, she might notice. Church is so wrapped in people-pleasing today, we've made a circus of the worship of God in many circles to try to please people who don't care. And the only reason why they would care is that we would take the image on that we are supposed to have and speak into a culture that needs that transcendent message. Man-pleasing always leads us down the wrong road. There's a third reason why man-pleasing or people-pleasing is wrong. Fundamentally, it is driven by love and fear for the wrong things. Listen close. People-pleasing loves the wrong thing. It loves the approval of man rather than the approval of God. But it also fears the wrong thing. People-pleasing fears the disapproval of man more than the disapproval of God. This is what makes Jesus' word so powerful to a people who were facing a very real persecution when they received it. But it should be as powerful to us today in Matthew 10 when he says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, Jesus says, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. People-pleasing is driven by love and fear for the wrong things. Fearing the rejection of man is a misplaced fear. He, man, is not the one to fear. Well, how does the gospel address our tendency to be people-pleasers? This is what's so important about the integrity of the message of the true gospel. This is the practical outflow of why maintaining the true gospel message is so important, why guarding the gospel is so important. Because the true gospel message, as Paul is defending and as we are speaking of, that's the very thing that frees you from people-pleasing. Why? Well, the gospel is Christ's merit credited to your account because of his death on the cross in your place. So now God looks at you and he sees his son's merit. And you are totally accepted by God. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more this morning. There is nothing you could do to make him love you less. Because it's all in Christ. That's the gospel message. Christ for you on the cross, paying for your sins, making you acceptable to God. 
So you can stop striving for someone else's approval because you already have God's. You can stop striving after receiving the approval of others that you think you need to be right with God because God says, I don't care what they think about you. It's what I think about you. You know what I think about you? It's what I think about Jesus. So your acceptance is totally secured in the gospel, the true gospel. If it's Christ plus something else, then it's not so secure because it depends on you to some degree. And if it depends on you in just a little bit, then actually God's love is utterly conditioned upon you being able to do whatever, a work of the law, giving a certain amount of money, being in the right family, being the right social group, being baptized, whatever it is. If you add that, that's your work. And now there's good reason to be insecure because you're not necessarily accepted by God until you do this or that. Whereas if your faith is in the finished work of Christ and the cross for you, now you're justified before God. Faith alone in Christ alone, and it's all by grace alone. And the reason why this is so important is the big word we use for this being justified is not simply a legal term that just means that you're acquitted for all your crimes and God says, okay, you're acquitted, I'll take Christ's payment, leave the courtroom. That's not what he does. That's part of justification. He declares us as righteous. But the second part is he says, and by the way, you're my son, you're my daughter. Now, from that perspective, we can serve him and obey his commands because it's not dependent. Our obeying commandments are not the things that make us God's son, God's daughter, It's the death of Christ that does this. So now from that position of security and acceptance of God, I can follow his commands. And when I mess up, he doesn't drop me. That acceptance becomes the new focus of my life. And now I'm making my decisions, asking the question, am I trying to please man or am I trying to please God based on what Christ has done and the ultimate truth? And it makes my life so much more directed on God's glory. And that's where true peace comes, not the striving after trying to make everyone happy. So in Christ, I don't care what you think of what house I bought. I don't care if you don't think I'm good looking or if I'm not skinny enough or if you don't like my chin beard. Or if you don't like the cover I got for my phone. I, I don't care because God likes them in Christ. Stop freaking out about what everyone thinks of you. It's an insult to Jesus. It really is. Because he's purchased full acceptance for you in Christ. And when we say I care more about what my boss thinks or what the person in my cul-de-sac thinks or the person in church or the person... Wherever, you're basically saying their opinion of you is more important than what God has declared by virtue of the righteousness of Jesus. That's a big deal. People-pleasing leads people to hell. Because they've got the wrong set of standards and understanding and who keeps them ultimately. It's very serious, the practical outcome of guarding the true gospel. There are two passages I want to bring to your attention. Just listen. They are written with everything I have said as a backdrop and an understanding. So when the commandments of God come to us, we are able to respond from a position of acceptance by God already. Listen to what Paul writes to the Ephesians. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Do you see this? 
So when you're carrying out your task, when you're seeking to obey God, the reason you're doing it is to serve him, not earn anything, but to serve him as a response to what he's done. And you're doing it ultimately by listening to your boss, to your parents, to whoever. You're doing it to serve God, not man. Ephesians 6, 7, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Later in Colossians 3, verse 23, a wonderful passage. Many of you have memorized. Whether you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. So, when we read the words of Paul now, back in verse 10. For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? Am I parenting in a certain way to please people or God? Do I purchase this or that or whatever for the approval of my peers? Or based on what God would have me to do? What would honor him? Do I live in a certain part of town to be accepted by certain people? Do I buy certain clothes or dress a certain way to be approved by people? Why am I striving to do well at work and school? For God or for the approval of man? To be honored personally. Do I give money so people will think well of me? Do I serve the church motivated by the way you all picture me? Or out of a love for God's grace shown to me in Christ? Do I speak up in a crowd just so everybody can hear me? Think how smart I am. Your whole life is changed by the gospel. And it starts to affect every aspect of your being, every decision you make, every action you take. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Father, again, we readily confess one of the major obstacles to unfettered service to you is our tendency to be approval junkies. We spend so much time, so much effort, so much emotional energy, so much anxiety fretting over what this or that person thinks of us and so little time concerned with pleasing you, so little time concerned with responding to your great grace, so little time basking in our adoption as sons and daughters, accepted by you. Who cares? Who else? accepts us, Lord. Lord, please grant us grace to better understand the gospel and how it sets us free to serve you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, just one verse, this great hymn, Christ is made the sure foundation. Let's stand and sing 342 verse 1.